It was a big week for NFL news, lots of trades, a few injuries, a firing and a benching. We're going to break down all of that and the AFC North today. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Podcast. Well, let's jump right into the news from the trade deadline. First of all, we had Jannard Avery getting traded from the Eagles, or sorry, to the Eagles from the Browns for a fourth round draft pick. I had never heard of this guy. What are your thoughts on this trade, Adam? So um, reading some of our Browns fans uh, that we follow on Twitter, it looks like this guy was um, healthy scratch most of the season. So like if you look at his production last year, I think he played in all 16 games. Uh, maybe started five. I believe those were the numbers I saw. And he had four and a half sacks. This year, he he wasn't involved in games at all. Um, yeah, he, he was a healthy scratch for most of the season and hadn't really made an impact for them. Um, I, I'm not too sure what the Eagles see in him necessarily to have given up a fourth round pick in 2021. But uh, obviously, they they believe in him a little bit more than Cleveland did if they're going to give him a chance to uh, yeah to have a role in the team there. I initially thought it was a weird trade because it's pretty rare that I have never heard of a player when their name comes up in the news. So I did have to go and look this up. So last season, he played 58% of the snaps for the Browns and ended with four and a half sacks, which that's pretty good. Um, So it seems like Philly thinks they're getting a good pass rusher. He has played a grand total of five snaps all year this year. So it seems like he wasn't a system fit. The, The Eagles paid quite a bit for him. Um, he was a fifth round draft pick last year. So a little bit of a, of a value addition for the Browns. And if, if the Eagles are picking up a good pass rusher, that's good value for them. I know that they were looking for a pass rusher among many other things at the trade deadline this year. So uh, good for the Eagles. If they got a guy that's going to make an impact for them uh, in the future. Um, another team that is hoping this guy make a, might make a, an impact in the future. Kenyon Drake goes from the Miami dolphins to the Arizona Cardinals for a conditional sixth round pick. Um, Kenyon Drake had a pretty good year last year from what I remember, uh, had not been fitting in that offense this year. Um, you could tell that he just wasn't going to be part of their offense. And there's been trade rumors around this guy for the pretty much the whole duration of the season. So it's not surprising to see him, um, move from Miami, but I think an interesting landing spot was that, or it was Arizona. Um, we know David Johnson is there. So I, I saw a few rumors reporting to the fact that they're not convinced David Johnson is going to be their long-term guy, um, which is why they brought in Kenyon Drake. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. When I saw the price, I felt it was really low. So I had to go and look up Kenyon Drake's stats to make sure that I was remembering who but this player was correctly. He is a free agent at the end of the year. So that I think that, that plays into it for sure. Yeah. But, but I realized something kind of weird. His, his name gets thrown around as being almost a borderline elite running back. He only had 535 rushing yards last season, 477 receiving yards. He's fine. Statistically, he's nothing special. And I think his name has gotten so hyped up because in fantasy, he was so valuable getting all those catches for PPR leagues. But it it does almost just feel like a player dump at this point. He has to face the San Francisco defense on Thursday night. He might just die. Who knows? We're going to see how that goes. David Johnson will be back from injury soon. It feels like this was just a stopgap option. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And... uh... Yeah, if Cliff Kingsbury can make him an impact player for a couple games this season for the Cardinals, um, it might be enough to re-sign him there. So maybe they'll have a pretty solid backfield in the next couple years if they can put those combination of backs they have together. Um, Another interesting trade. So there have been some rumors of uh, Michael Bennett, or or not rumors, uh, he was suspended from 
uh, the Patriots for a week, I believe, just due to uh, some disagreement he had with one of his coaches. And team suspension, not league. Yeah, yeah, team suspension, which resulted in him missing a game. And shortly after him coming back, the Patriots were sort of, you know, quiet about it in the media, what they were going to do with him, what his role was going to be on the team. And yeah, they traded him to the Dallas Cowboys for a conditional sixth round pick. Daniel, as a Patriots fan, this didn't surprise me. I, I was sort of expecting this move to happen, and I think he wasn't a fit for the Patriots. What are what are your thoughts? What did you think of this one? Yeah, this was just a salary dump on a disgruntled player. He would have been great in the scheme. Honestly, he could have done a ton to take this already amazing defense to another level on the few snaps that he was on the field to impact it. Dallas picks up a guy who is definitely still a starter, um, a little bit older now, but they didn't give up very much for him. The Patriots get his salary off the books, and I think it's a win-win at this point. Yeah, another defensive lineman that... Uh, that got traded. This was a, an interesting one. Doesn't have to move across the country. Doesn't have to move anywhere. Uh, Leonard Williams is staying in New York, but moving from the New York Jets to the New York Giants um, for compensation to the Jets of a third round pick and a fifth round pick this year. Um, I saw lots of Giants fans on Twitter were kind of surprised by this move and why their team would go after a player like this. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's one of those moves that I think the Jets knew that they wouldn't be able to pay him going forward. Um, with some of the other guys that they would want to sign long term so it was a good move from the Jets from that perspective and I think for the Giants um, yeah I'm not too sure what it means for them but they obviously saw a need to go out and get them. This was the first trade in NFL history between the New York Jets and New York Giants it's the first time a player has ever just essentially switched locker rooms rather than cities so it's kind of fun it's disappointing for the Jets Leonard Williams was supposed to be a generational talent he was supposed to be a game wrecker um, and to be fair, he probably is an above-average starter still. But it seems, I mean, for the Giants, your season's kind of done. Like, sure, they still have a shot in a bad division, but I think they wouldn't have made this trade unless they were confident they could re-sign him after this season because his contract is done as well. The Jets pick up more compensation than they could have gotten from the compensatory pick formula, which, for those of you who don't know, uh, rewards you with picks for good players leaving, and the highest you can get is a third. So by picking up a third and a fifth, they got more than they would have gotten. Maybe this change of scenery turns Leonard Williams into what he was supposed to be. Who knows? For sure. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't know what the Giants are getting there. I know the, what you're saying. The Jets are getting that compensation. And I think, um, yeah, this might be mutually beneficial if he can make a, uh, make a Giants defense a little bit better there. And uh, for the Jets, who knows the talent that they could get in those rounds. So mutually beneficial, I think. Um, this next trade was one that I, I really jump to i really like this one this is one of my favorite ones to talk about and the reason is um so first of all a kib to and a fifth round pick to the dolphins and a 2022 seventh round pick goes to the la rams so for those of you that don't know a kib to was a patriot from 2012 to 2013 and at the time of him being a patriot brian flores who is now the head coach in miami was the safeties coach. Um, he was actually the safeties coach from 2012 to 2015 in New England. So you can imagine that Brian Flores has seen Aqib Tlaib quite a bit, um, knows what he's all about, knows how to coach him, knows how to work with him. So the reason I was sort of excited about this is um, Brian Flores has traded away a lot of Dolphins this year and a lot of people he didn't want to be a part of his system. And I think this is the first move that actually shows that Brian Flores is building a team in Miami there. And um, starting to build a defense he wants. And even if a kid to leave is a short solution, I think it shows that he's starting to mold that defense and train the defensive players underneath to leave um, for what he actually wants from them. So I like that one. So Talib is still on IR until December. 
So he won't be making an impact this year, most likely. Oh, did not know that. <laughs> yeah, but this is a salary dump through and through. Los Angeles trying to clear the books. I had a Broncos fan text me and wonder if they were, or sorry, not a Broncos, a Broncos fan text me to see if the Rams were going after Chris Harris, um, trying to clear up that salary. That trade obviously didn't materialize. I've heard some weird rumors that this might be Flores giving Aqib Tlaib a coaching tryout. He'll let him run the sidelines while he's on IR, see if he can be a coach, and Tlaib might retire and join the coaching staff after the season. So that's a weird rumor, but one that I've heard floated around. That's interesting. And sort of what I was getting at, that that actually wouldn't surprise me if there's some role he can play in mentoring the younger players. So a coaching tryout would actually be pretty neat. I don't think I've ever heard of that before with anyone. Yeah, but with those players who were traded, there were a few names that were floated and didn't end up actually getting shipped off. Le'Veon Bell was shocking to me when I saw that name come up. The Jets just paid him big money, and he hasn't been super productive, but that's not totally his fault. That team is bad. That offensive line is bad. Jamal Adams, his name gets thrown around as well. Um, the Jets apparently were on a fire sale, but they couldn't quite ship everyone off. So so the first things first. I remember um, lots of news being made about the GM for the Jets at the time. I believe it was Mike McCannigan. I don't know if I'm saying that name right, but I believe he was the one that wanted Le'Veon Bell initially, and Adam Gase was actually opposed to it. So I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with Jay Gruden not wanting to draft Dwayne Haskins. I think it's the same sort of situation here where Adam Gase was stuck with a player, um, like paying a player a lot that he doesn't necessarily want. So that one, it was surprising to see his name come up in trade talks so quick, but it also doesn't sort of surprise me if, if that's not part of the team that Adam Gase wants to build in New York. Adam Gase won't be there long, so he's not going to have this choice too much longer. Um, but yeah, the Jamal Adams trade, that that's a saga. That's what that is. Why the heck do you want to trade away a young, top five, probably safety? Yes, your team sucks, but usually you fire sale on players with expiring contracts who are old. I don't understand why his name was ever floated. Yeah, I don't understand that either. So the rumor is that he wasn't being shopped, but the rumor was that teams were inquiring about him and the Jets were trying to see what sort of compensation they could get. So... For those of you unfamiliar, apparently Jamal Adams and his, his GM had a conversation a couple weeks ago, and he said, look, I want to be a Jet. I want to be in this building um, for the rest of the season for sure. And him and the general manager came to an agreement of, okay, like that's perfect. They were, they were happy with the conversation. And then out of the blue, he hears that he's being shopped. So I know that he was, like, if you look at his Twitter account, he was very frustrated with the fact that he was being put in these uh these trade conversations and i know that it wasn't something that made him happy um so the rumors had him going to the dallas cowboys and that he wanted to go home i believe to texas so um as much as you want to believe that a player would like to go home i think in this case he's he's very much advocating that like look i'm committed to this jets franchise and i don't want my name dragged through the mud uh because of this so i i actually felt for him quite a bit um Sometimes we forget about the human side of this sport and yeah. that the trades. I mean, that's someone's life getting uprooted to a certain extent. I do feel bad for Jamal Adams because, again, he is top five. He is an incredible safety. He is one of the building blocks for the Jets team that needs to really start building. And it's got to hurt to have your name brought up in trade talks when you are one of the few good players the team has on the on their roster. Yeah, and as much as it might be nice to be traded to a good team, you have to think about his family moving. And, you know, he hasn't been in New York all that long either. So it's just, it's hard to pick up all your stuff and constantly be moving. So, um, yeah, we definitely feel for him and and understand that uh, obviously it's not easy being in these trade rumors. So um, two other names that were mentioned in trade rumors were uh, Chris Harris from the Denver Broncos. And apparently their asking price was was too high and teams just didn't want to buy uh, by the corner at that price. 
And then Trent Williams, which again is another saga that's beginning in the NFL right now, um, or, or beginning in Washington's building right now, I should say. So it was kind of interesting that the pin didn't get pulled on either of those players because their name had been in trade conversations for a long time, unlike Bell and Jamal Adams. The, the failure of John Elway to trade Chris Harris has proved to me that he needs to be fired. Honestly, Chris Harris is leaving after this year. There is no chance he's staying on that team. And there is no chance in my mind that teams weren't offering enough to see him get moved. It seems to me like John Elway just failed to pull the trigger on a player who is on a team that's not going anywhere this year, a player who is certainly going to leave after the season, and a player who he is now only going to get a third-round draft pick for, the compensatory again, when he probably could have gotten so much more. And there are so many quarter cornerback needy teams out there. Um, we follow a lot of Philadelphia Eagles fans on Twitter, and the amount of comments I saw about them not going after... Um, they're frustrated with not getting Jalen Ramsey. Uh, now they're frustrated with not getting Chris Harris. So uh, there's so many players that were sort of being shopped from the cornerback position. And to see none of them other than Jalen Ramsey and Marcus Peters get put into these or get traded, right? Like it was, it was kind of a surprise. I thought for sure, exactly what you're saying, right? Like get some compensation for, for these guys that are going to be moving after the season anyways. So I was quite shocked by that. Um, yeah, what were your thoughts on Trent Williams? We talked about him a couple weeks ago, but were you surprised that he didn't get moved or with everything going on right now? I was surprised he didn't get moved. And then the trade deadline passes and immediately the news comes up that he's at the building and he's finally reported. And so I'm like, okay, it seems like maybe Washington knew that this was a possibility. They didn't want to move him or Trent Williams is thinking, okay, well, nobody wants me. I have to play to raise my value and they can ship me off during the off season because he's still under contract next year. Um, ultimately he had to start, he had to come now. Otherwise, his contract would have rolled over and he wouldn't have been a free agent following next season. But now this whole thing comes up. He got his his physical today and he couldn't find a helmet that didn't hurt to wear or something. Yeah, so he passed the actual physical. But part of your physical is your equipment fitting as well. And so the helmet he tried on hurt. So they have to work through actually finding him a helmet that, that works with his head apparently or that's comfortable for his head. So And if they don't, he'll go on the non-football injury list and he will not play this season and his contract will still roll over. So for all we know, he's lying about the helmet hurting. And at this point, I wouldn't doubt it. But Who knows? Yeah, I, I've, I've seen rumors that uh, he most likely will be shopped off or shipped off, shopped to the rest of the teams, shipped off <laughs> um, at some point in the offseason. So it wouldn't be a shock to see him get traded to a team like the Browns or to, to one of these teams that are really trying to upgrade uh, at the left tackle position. Um, you know, the reason you need a great left tackle is because it's some of those defensive linemen that you see destroying quarterbacks on a weekly basis. Um, unfortunately, one of those guys went down this week. So JJ Watt, um, torn pectoral muscle, I believe. And uh, yeah, he's, he's facing the end of his season in week eight. So that's a really big loss for the tight for the Texans. And um, as a fan, like if you just know anything about JJ Watt, you know he's just such a great dude, and what he does for his community is outstanding. Um, again, talking about the human side, this is a really really hard one to see. Yeah, generational talent who, for a period of time, was the best defensive player in the league by well between him and Luke Keekley, it was those two were miles ahead of every other defensive player in the league. Um, this is his second season-ending injury and in, I think three or four seasons. He's not super young anymore, but it looked like maybe finally his productivity was going to come back up this season and now to have it end like this. Yeah, you feel bad. He's a great guy. He is a, is a great member of the community for the Texans. He is super likable. Um, one of those players who you just get sad when he's done because he's super entertaining in the league. He's good for football because of his character. And, I mean, we all love the defensive ends who can put up 20 sacks a season. No kidding. It, it makes... Um, 
watching defense fun was sometimes loses its value in fantasy football. Right. But to see a player like that, every single down, you're seeing how badly he's beating the tackle and uh, yeah, how much pressure he's putting on the quarterback. So it really is a hard one. Um, another player that went to IR this week was Xavier Howard, who is a cornerback for the Miami dolphins. So um, to add to a season of Miami, just getting absolutely beat down to put him on IR was uh, yeah, it was, I'm sure unfortunate for the team and, Hey, it gives them a better chance to land the number one pick in this draft. I guess that's what they can be happy with there, Daniel, right? Yeah, Xavier Howard isn't a big name, but if any of you need any proof of how good of a player he is, go watch the first half of the Miami-Pittsburgh game and then watch what happens after Xavier Howard got hurt. And all of a sudden, Mason Rudolph went from looking like a completely incompetent quarterback to a massive Steelers comeback led by him and his receivers, uh, also James Conner. But... Xavier Howard is a really good player. Again, not a big name, but this is a, a top corner in the league who the Dolphins, I mean, again, it's not like it matters on their season, but they're now missing one of the top corners for the rest of the year. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad. Again, like we talk about it from a human perspective because we played football, right? Like anytime a player like this gets hurt, it, it just, it hurts. And to see it, um, yeah, affect them in their life is, is very unfortunate. Um, another injury to talk about, Joe Flacco, he's suffering from a, a neck injury, I believe. And he's going to be out for the next five to six weeks is what I saw. Um, surgery is unlikely, but not that Denver was having a great season, but I think this actually gives them a chance to, to some degree, find the quarterback of, or to see if the quarterback of their future is in their locker room right now. I know they have Brandon Allen who's playing this week and they also have Drew Locke. I don't know what his status is, um, but yeah, this is a good time to audition some of those younger quarterbacks in their locker room. I thought the Flacco injury was a lie after his press conference where he ripped the coaching staff. But if you watch the last play of that game, you see the vicious hit that he takes. This is a serious neck injury. Flacco probably is done. I wouldn't be shocked if he retired after this. Um, he's gotten his money. Joe Flacco doesn't really seem to care anymore. But, I mean, that's just the nature of, of the quarterback position is when you're not good anymore, eventually your replacement will come. Drew Locke uh, is ready to play, but Elway has said he's not going to. So that's a bad sign for that second round draft pick. Brandon Allen is, is going to be the starter for the Broncos. So we'll see how that goes. Do they draft someone in the first round next year? Do they, well, with where they are right now, do you think that they move into the top five if they're not already in the top five to draft a quarterback? Not if Elway is still the GM. I think he's too prideful and he spoke too highly of Drew Locke. You think so? If, if I, I do. Yeah, I, I think John Elway really loves himself some John Elway. Uh, I don't know. They've drafted way too many second round quarterbacks. I think this is the year they pull the pin and get a first round quarterback or uh, just take some sort of chance in that area. But um, yeah, so another sort of interesting quarterback storyline. Um, I want you to picture the worst birthday you've ever had. So, <laughs> you know, someone forgot your birthday. Someone didn't text you on your birthday. Okay, well, Andy Dalton got benched on his birthday. So if you're not familiar, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals are having a terrible season. They are currently 0-8. And again, like what we talked about, wanting to find out if the future quarterback of your team is in your building, they're starting Ryan Finley this week and uh, couldn't have waited to deliver the news to Andy Dalton later in the week or earlier so he could have actually made some sort of move or seen if he could have been traded. Um, but yeah, they let him know they're going to bench him on his birthday. Andy Dalton has had a bad season behind an awful offensive line on a team that completely sucks. He probably still has some good football left in him, if I'm being honest. But like Andy Dalton level good football, so 
kind of middle of the pack. Like he should be a starter, but he's not a great one. There will be he'll end up being a free agent. There will be some teams that that want to pay him, not a ton, but he'll probably have a couple of good years left in him. Backup? No, I think he'll be starting somewhere. There's not enough good quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Interesting, because yeah, he, he's he's been knocked his whole career for not being able to win a playoff game or not being able to win those big games. Uh, he had Marvin Lewis as his coach. I, I get it. I get it. But, I mean, there was a season we, we saw on TV the other day. They were showing us that they had went 8-0 and in one season, and the fact that they still didn't win a playoff game, um, it, it's crazy. And I think that'll be a knock on him until he can prove to us that he can win a playoff game. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, it's a tough situation for him. And I, I, ultimately, I think his best move is to move away from Cincinnati. So it's in his benefit, I think. No, definitely. But two other small stories from this week. Um, Ken Wisenhunt, the offensive coordinator for the Chargers, gets fired the day after winning a game on the road. That's a bit of a weird story. Against the Chicago Bears defense. Yeah, a bit of a weird story. Um, it seems like there's probably some philosophical differences between him and the head coach there. Uh, they're moving forward with their QB coach at OC, and I guess we'll see what that ultimately means. A lot of people have said that Philip Rivers had a really good relationship with Wisenhunt, and he might follow him wherever he goes. So that's something to watch. Also, Willie Sneed got a one-year, $6 million contract extension. Um, far more than I think Willie Sneed deserves, but the Ravens can do what they want. So, Well, you talked about him in, uh, in trade talks that we wanted to see, and, uh, and he was mentioned as someone that might be able to help the Vikings. So maybe the Ravens listened and... I think that he can help them. So who knows? They play a tough Patriots defense this week. Definitely. But. but with all of that news out of the way, we can finally hop into talking about some of the games this week. And I think a lot of teams finally showed us who they were, um, or at least gave us a good idea of, of the way their season is heading. First of all, the 49ers, they they did it. They They showed everybody that it doesn't matter who they're playing. It doesn't really matter how hyped up the competition is. It doesn't matter if they have an absolute superstar on their offense in Christian McCaffrey the 49ers defense is incredible. Their offense is an amazing running offense with a very efficient passer. And honestly, I think they are the best team in the NFL right now. Even better than the Saints? With Drew Brees back now. 49ers 1, Saints 2, Patriots 3. That's your top three in the league right now. Interesting. Because everyone's wanting to say that with Brees back, that I, I they have a matchup in a couple weeks. Everyone's wanting to say that those two teams will... Uh, We'll put on a show. I know the 49ers also play the Packers. So those are two teams in the NFC that definitely want a shot at this tough defense. Uh, but yeah, they they picked off um, Kyle Allen three times. They sacked him seven times. They're just dominant. And is that a surprise? No, but the fact that they dominated the team that good with, like you said, Christian McCaffrey is absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah, we support the 49ers and we think they have a chance to be the best team in the NFC this year. The only other remaining undefeated team did not necessarily fare so well. They did win. Um, they made the Browns look really silly in the first quarter with three turnovers on three straight plays, including what I think is one of the nicest defensive strips you will ever see with Jonathan Jones chasing down Nick Chubb to force a fumble after a huge run. Effort plays. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's top effort play. Uh, their offense looked bad. They, they're definitely starting to show some weaknesses and Honestly, unless his offense figures their stuff out, they probably don't have a realistic shot at beating some of these good NFC teams. Um, but the AFC is so weak that I'm not really scared of their chance to get first seed at this point. Well, they're they're two games up on everyone else. The Colts are five and two right now, um, and I think they're second place in the in the AFC. So, yeah, with the Patriots having that position, I don't think that they'll necessarily lose first spot in the AFC. But what what did we see last year? We saw them 
kind of struggle for the majority of the first three quarters of the season. And then the last couple games, their offense really clicked and they look dominant. So I'm, I'm confident the Patriots can get back there. Isaiah Wynn is practicing again today. Um, we know that some of their offensive linemen um, and other weapons are coming back too. So, so that's exciting for them. Um, yeah. Another team that again, sort of showed us who they can be this year were the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they had a dominant win against the team. Everyone's been considering to be quite good in the Buffalo bills. Um, they ran wild to put it lightly. Uh, Jordan Howard ran for 96 yards. Sanders ran for 74 yards. They had two touchdowns combined, uh, on the ground. It, it was a dominant performance from their backfield. I wasn't shocked about the win. I was shocked about how much they won by. The Bills don't really have an offense. Their defense is solid, but they can be exploited by good teams. Um, Drew Brees came back as well this week and looked amazing in his return with the Saints. Again, I think that team is the second best in the league right now. They look really, really darn good and should be scaring everybody else in that conference right now. Yeah, the them and the Packers both look really good as well. Uh, we saw the Packers put up a dominant performance against uh, – against the chiefs. Um, yeah, it was fantastic watching that game and just seeing the way that they feature their running backs. It was, it was really exciting to see, uh, them come out and play that well. And from a fantasy perspective, both their running backs just tore it up. So having one of their running backs and being against one of their running backs was kind of torture, but it was, it was a pretty fun night. Yeah. With those fantasy performances in mind though, let's, let's move on to talking about some of the, the big fantasy surprises for this week. Um, it seems like Every week, if you could pick up some guy who explodes for a bunch of points and then end up having to drop him because he never does anything again. Um, but a couple of guys who put up some nice numbers this week, Christian Kirk comes out with eight catches for 79 yards and one carry for 19. Ends he's their leading rusher. Leading the team in rushing, which is a little embarrassing, but he's starting to look like a PPR darling. Maybe not so great in standard scoring. Um, Darius Slayton comes out two catches, 50 yards, two touchdowns, which is like a fantasy stat line. If I've ever seen one, who are some other guys who you were surprised by Adam? So Johnu Smith, um, for those of you that had Delaney Walker on your team and you know, with him going down, wanted to pick up the next best option. It looks like Johnu Smith is your choice. So he had six catches, 78 yards, one touchdown. Um, listen back to episode four of the podcast and you'll hear that I said as soon as I drop this player he's going to go off and have a great performance Chicago Bear fans you're welcome I dropped David Montgomery on Sunday morning and he ran for 27 or he ran the ball 27 times for 135 yards had a touchdown and was also featured in the passing game and now he is on my fantasy roster so thank you Adam yeah you're welcome Chicago Bear fans you're welcome Daniel um I called it I knew it was going to happen and it did so I'm at least happy with that. Um, another tight end, if you're looking to stream tight ends on a weekly basis, Ryan Griffin for the New York Jets. He had four catches for 66 yards and two touchdowns, which again, like if you want to pick up a guy on a, you know, for one week that might help out your team potentially, uh, he looks like the guy after this week. So um, yeah, those are some of the surprises that we wanted to feature, but with those surprises comes disappointments. So Arizona's run game was our first <laughs> call out of the week. So after having one of the, the biggest games you can imagine uh, against the New York Giants, Chase Edmonds got hurt relatively early in the game, I believe. Um, David Johnson was, he, he played this week? Uh, no, he was hurt as well. That's was why Edmonds well. was starting. Okay, yeah. So their their backfield got really back uh, banged up. Um, yeah, they only had 40 yards total on the ground. So Going from the number one rushing team in football to that, that was uh, that was a bit of a mess. Um, I made the mistake of trying to stream Jacoby Brissett to replace an injured Patrick Mahomes, and he did nothing. Didn't throw a touchdown, had some rushing yards, but really not enough to be worth using in fantasy. 
And uh, yeah, another quarterback that didn't have as, as good of a performance as well um, was Kirk Cousins. So he had kind of a quiet game against Washington. I know a lot of people probably started him thinking that he would have a great performance against a, a very poor team in the NFL right now. Um, yeah, unfortunately that didn't pan out too well. And Chris Godwin. So Daniel, I'll let you talk about this one. I know he's on your fantasy team. He kind of let the ball down with, or, or dropped the ball with Mike Evans having a great day. Yeah. And that's what you deal with when you have these offenses that have two really good weapons is sometimes one will go off and the other one have a chance. And Godwin's been the recipient of that a few times having huge games and you just got to take the, the good with the bad. So four catches, 43 yards. Uh, he didn't lose my week for me because of that. So it's fine, I guess. But with that in mind, a few players that we would definitely recommend starting going into this week. Um, the Patriots offense needs to take a step forward, and the Ravens' D is really bad against the pass. They're currently 26th, um, and this game, even with how good the Patriots' defense is, could turn into not a full-out shootout, but teams are going to have to score. Um, and so a bit of a weird potential start. A flex start would be Philip Dorsett for the Patriots, especially in a PPR league. Brady really trusts him, especially on third down as either Edelman or Dorsett to save those drives. So in a PPR league, I'd, he's most likely available. Pick him up, give him a flex start if you're desperate at receiver this week. And that's where most likely Muhammad Sanu will come in in the next couple of weeks as well. But I think this is a still uh, this is still a period of time where Dorsett is going to have you know some of those big games or potentially big games and uh, yeah those third down contributions. So. Definitely agree with you there. Um, another one, we just talked about him, David Montgomery for the Eagles. I think he has the chance to have a big game this week. Um, again, not on my roster, but hey, that's fine. I'm okay with it. Uh, so maybe Daniel will, will have a, a player that can contribute quite often with David Montgomery there. So if you have those two guys, we, uh, we recommend giving them the start this week against their opposition. Um, some players to sit. Uh, actually, we'll start off with a team to sit. Sit the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, they're playing Thursday night against the San Francisco 49ers defense. If if you haven't watched any NFL, and this is the first you're hearing of any NFL this season, the 49ers defense are good. You do not want to play them in fantasy unless you have a superstar like Christian McCaffrey or one of those, you know, supreme talents in the NFL. Don't play any yeah, the Cardinals, Cardinals. have none of those supreme talents. Yeah, don't play any of those Cardinals players on your fantasy team. Um, another player that you may not want to feature uh, in your fantasy lineup this week is Ryan Tannehill against the Panthers. Um, yeah, the Panthers have the fifth-ranked pass defense in the league, so we'd recommend not playing uh, not playing him this week. If you're looking for someone good to stream over top of him, though, Sam Darnold is definitely an option. The Dolphins' pass defense, especially with Xavier Howard hurt now, is weak. Um, and Darnold, I do still believe, is a good quarterback. He will have a bounce-back game, and this is probably the week for it. So if you're desperate for a streamer, go pick up Darnold and, and put him in instead of Tannehill this week. Because he'd most likely still be a free agent, hey? Oh, I, in, I, in almost every league. There's, yeah. not, there's enough quarterbacks in fantasy who put up a lot of points. Darnold is not worth rostering. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah, another quarterback that we're going to advise not starting this week is Lamar Jackson. So um, say what you will about Lamar Jackson. He's had a pretty solid year this year. Um, he's ran for quite a few yards. He's thrown for quite a few yards, um, way more than he did uh, per game than last year. Um, so we've been really impressed with him. We know lots of people are talking about this as a, a fun game to watch this week. However, we know the Patriots defense is, is going to be ready for anything. And, and we're advising that if you have another quarterback that you could be putting in place of Lamar Jackson to, uh, to sit him this week. So yeah, those are some sits that uh, we figured we, we might advise you of so again if we have any influence over your fantasy football decisions 
You're welcome. If not, thank you for taking the time to listen to us talk about the Patriots defense. But um, you know what? We are going to talk a little bit more about the Ravens along with all their competition in the AFC North. So uh, the past couple of weeks, we've broken down a division uh, each week and gone in depth as far as how we think each team is going to do uh, as far as their record and where they're going to actually stack up in their division. So this week, we're focusing on the AFC North. And as always, we'll start in the basement. So we talked about them a little bit already, but the Cincinnati Bengals are in a really rough spot this year. So they're currently 0-8. They have a a brand new head coach who was the offensive coordinator for the LA Rams last year. His name is Zach Taylor. Um, You know, their offense is just kind of in a tough spot. Uh, They have a terrible offensive line. One of their main weapons, AJ Green, has been out. They've had some players step up, but uh, some players have also been uh, going to IR. So it's, it's just been a really disappointing year for the Bengals and a year where I think a lot of their stars are going to move on to other teams. Um, so Daniel, I'll let you talk a little bit more about them, but I think we're both on the same page that these guys, it's, it's a restructuring, right? Like they're changing their organization completely. Yeah. This was not a team that in my wildest dreams, I pictured starting the season zero and eight. Um, but now seeing them, this is most likely a trend that's going to continue throughout the rest of the season. They're, they're really, really bad. Their, their offense is 29th in points for. Their defense is last in yards given up and 23rd for points against. Um, and for a team that honestly at the start of the season, I may have even been projecting to get 9 or 10 wins, they've just completely imploded. Their offensive line, I feel like we talk about every week a, a team with just a horrendous offensive line. The Bengals are on that list. It's not capable of doing anything Joe Mixon, who proved himself last year to be a very, very talented running back, is currently averaging 3.2 yards per attempt, 40 yards per game. It's ugly, and that is not on him. I mean, a little bit of it is, but the vast majority of that is on the offensive line not being able to block whatsoever. Um, Offensively, they have weapons, or at least they look like an offense that has the makings of maybe being dangerous in a few years. Tyler Boyd obviously established himself last year as one of the better number twos in the league. Auden Tate is looking more and more like a player who people should be really keeping a watch on. Alex Erickson has had a couple of quietly good weeks as that small white slot receiver Edelman Welker kind of role. And um, keep in mind they had John Ross too, who, yeah, who John went on Ross IR, on right? IR and, and he'll be coming back yeah. when Tyler Eifert is healthy. He is a very good tight end. So it does feel like this offense, if they can fix the line really is close to being a, a very, very competent offense. Maybe the Dalton benching will fix that. I, like I said, I don't think it will. I think Dalton is still a good quarterback. Um, yeah, they're they're a team that no one really expected to be where they are now. Um, the defense really doesn't have a lot of names. Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap um, have formed one of the better tandems on the defensive line for the last, what, six, seven years in the NFL they've been yeah, together. Decent time. Um, Drake Kirkpatrick is a solid corner. They have some players, but um, overall, I honestly think that this team is a few weeks away from from finishing the season one and 15 um, that win might come in the ultimate suck bowl when they play miami in week 16 it might come against a bad steelers team it would be kind of funny if they embarrassed the browns but i honestly can only see them winning one game so i don't quite know which way to lean but do they fire their head coach after one year if they if they do this poorly is that um the coach doing bad like not fulfilling what the organization thought he would be able to do or is that um yeah they just need to go through a complete rebuilding process zach taylor felt like a reach to me when they hired him but i 
I don't like this firing your head coach after one season thing. We saw it with the Cardinals and Steve Wilkes. That's what I'm getting at. It's like there's a recent precedent. Let this guy put his team together. Give him a couple of seasons. If again, this this offense should have weapons. If he can't put together a decent offense with the guys on that roster in the next couple of years, then it's time for him to go. But this whole giving head coaches one season thing is absolutely ridiculous. I would agree with you. Yeah, I think um, consistency has proven to be a winning method in the NFL. So I I would agree with you. But I I wanted to put that to the test and see if we were on the same page. So that's interesting. Um, Moving on to another team in Ohio, uh, the Cleveland Browns. So this was the NFL's sweetheart coming into the year. Um, you know, so everyone wants to talk about Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs and, you know, the, the still strong Patriots um, continuing to prove that their dynasty is still alive. But everyone sort of saw the Browns as that team that might interrupt that and uh, might be the ones to actually take, take over the throne from the Patriots. And their year has been very disappointing to this point. Uh, so their record is currently two and five. Um, they, they haven't displayed too much life. It's been um, you know, the publicity around Baker, the publicity around Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, all their players. I think there was so much hype that went into this team that I think they're underperforming. But is there still a shot? We see that they have a weak schedule. Um, we see that, you know, they're just a couple pieces away, it seems. It seems like they just need to put everything together in one performance. Their defense isn't bad. They have Miles Garrett there. Um oh gosh, they have Denzel Ward, they have, you know, like solid young players, guys that sort of came at a um, you know, sort of came together over the last couple of years and it feels like they should be a good team. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at is it feels like this team was starting to put something together. It's really weird when you look through their schedule because you see that they've gotten absolutely manhandled by three teams. Uh, those teams were the Tennessee Titans, the Baltimore Ravens, and the San Francisco 49ers. They manhandled the Ravens though. They, they beat the Ravens a couple weeks ago. Oh, sorry. Yes, I looked at that wrong. They Sorry, they got manhandled by, the, by Tennessee and by San Francisco, but yet they beat the Ravens and the Seahawks. Or an, Sorry, and almost beat the Seahawks. They were so close in that game. So it's like one of those teams that seems to maybe almost put things together and then almost fall apart. Honestly, the, the Patriots' score, 27-13, looks bad, but that game was closer than that score showed. And I think there are a couple Nick Chubb fumbles away from potentially making that a, a three to seven point game. Nick uh, Chubb really showed how good of a running back he yeah, was, though. especially against that defense. Oh man. So that's what I, I said a, a couple weeks ago is that, you know, everyone wants to believe that Odell Beckham was the player that needed to step up in order to, to make this team good or that Jarvis Landry or that Baker Mayfield. But if you really think about it, I think they need to center their offense on Nick Chubb. And I think that's what a lot of people from Cleveland or a lot of Browns fans may not be realizing is that Nick Chubb is their most talented player in that offense. Say what you will about Odell Beckham. Say what you will about Jarvis Landry. They're great talents. Absolutely. But I personally think their offense need to be centered around Nick Chubb. And, you know, look at the Vikings and the play action passing game that they have in Minnesota there. I think that's what they need to start realizing with Chubb is that play action offense where they can use the running game to establish the passing game. So they should have such, you know, such a strong offense because of that performance, but it doesn't seem like they're cashing in right now. Yeah, they have the guys. I mean, you listed the names, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. That's a really, really strong group of players. The problem is turnovers will kill any offense. And when your QB has thrown 12 interceptions and has three fumbles, you you can't win games like that. You cannot win games when you're constantly giving the football to the other team. And I don't know who to blame. Baker is still young, and with the potential he showed last year, I don't want to write him off just yet. 
but he has looked really bad this year. He's thrown, again, 12 interceptions. That's not okay. That's not a good number. That's like early Matt Stafford stats. But again, there's the comparison. Early Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford is an amazing QB now. I hope they give Baker a little bit more time. Um, I mean, you don't want to waste the years of Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb, but it seems like any quarterback should be able to have success with these guys around him. And like you said, Miles Garrett has 10 sacks on the season. That's how good he is. So that alone is disrupting quarterbacks. Between Greedy Williams and um, Denzel Ward, they have two really solid corners to be covering guys. The defense personnel, the offense personnel, they're both there, um, but somehow they can't put it together. 25th offensively, 22nd defensively, below middle of the pack with probably more names than a lot of teams that are currently ranking ahead of them. And we talk about turnover and the effect that turnover has from the coaching position. Um, So they had Hugh Jackson as their head coach last year. He got fired after, oh gosh, maybe less than 10 weeks for sure. Their offensive coordinator, Todd Haley from last year, was uh, again fired after a couple weeks as well. So they had Freddie Kitchens was their offensive coordinator last year. Greg Williams, who's now defensive coordinator of the New York Jets, was their defensive coordinator last year. Um, or no, sorry, he was their interim coach after after uh, Hugh Jackson got fired. So this is just a franchise that's gone through so many coaches, so many quarterbacks, and has never had any consistency whatsoever. Um, I hear Browns fans calling for Freddie Kitchens to be fired after this one season. And, and that's why I sort of talk about the coaching turnover is because I don't know if necessarily he was the best guy for the job from the beginning. He's their offensive-minded guy. Their offense is what's not clicking right now. Their defense isn't playing terrible. Um, or I would say that their defense is keeping them in games, that their offense is, is struggling to you know maintain. Um, so I'm unsure. I'm unsure of whether they keep Freddie Kitchens. I'm unsure if they go in a different direction. Um, I feel like... Not too many guys are rallying around Kitchens. Uh, we saw Fire Kitchens as a hashtag trending this Sunday. So I'm I'm moving in the direction of thinking that, okay, because of their schedule, they still have a chance, I think. But regardless, after the season, I think they fire Freddie Kitchens and uh, try to find someone else that can come in and be a consistent coach to help that offense smooth things out, help that defense smooth things out. Another team where I would say patience is key, but I am not a general manager. What do you mean patience is key? You'd let Freddie Kitchen stay? Yeah, that offense ran really well at the end of last year. They just really need to put things together. Um, but another team that has been quite a disappointment, um, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this is a little different with Ben Roethlisberger going down and hitting IR early in the season. Um, but this defense is better than their stats show. They are currently 13th for points against. But you watch them play against teams, and they are dominant. They're another defense that is is scary to play against. TJ Watt is playing at a defensive player of the year kind of level, absolutely decimating offensive lines week by week. Um, but again, the problem is your quarterback. And it almost feels, if you watched the game against Miami, um, you'll kind of feel what it is to be the Steelers right now. That first half, Mason Rudolph was horrendous and making some of the worst decisions, worst throws I've ever seen. And then the second half, it's like something clicked um, and he played well and let it come back. It's kind of weird to watch. This team felt like even without Ben Roethlisberger, they might be able to to go and win some games, but, but their playoff hopes are fading. I don't know. How are you feeling about this team at this point, Adam? So we've talked about their offense quite a bit over the past couple of weeks. Um, we love the way that they ran the ball with, uh, with James Conner and with Jalen Samuels when he was healthy. Um, 
I think their offense is, is at a point of not quite understanding how to win games. Um, we haven't seen Juju Smith-Schuster too active in their offense until this Monday when he was he was quite dominant. Uh, so I think their offense is still establishing themselves. Um, but to see their defense playing as well as they're playing right now, I think that's where the Steelers have historically been great. The years that they won the Super Bowls and the years that they, they got into that position to be um, playing in AFC Championship games in the Super Bowl was because their defenses were so strong. So to see them go out and get players this year like Minka Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins, um, oh gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on some of their linebackers' names, but I want to say Dupree's there and playing quite well. Um, I want to say... drafted Devin Bush. Yeah, Devin Bush, that's the guy I was thinking of. He, he's having an electric rookie season. Um, you mentioned TJ Watt already. They have lots of players that... Um, you know, again, like it, we talk about chemistry and them meshing together. And I think this is the year that the defense will start getting a lot stronger and will start building together. And next year when Roethlisberger's back and when they, again, they understand the identity of that offense, I think the Steelers will be, um, if not a threat in the AFC, I think that they'll put up a lot more of a fight in this division next year. Yeah, they have four players with three and a half sacks or more. They have Stefan Tuitt at three and a half. TJ Watt has six, Bud Dupree has four, and Cam Hayward has four and a half. They have a very, very effective pass rush. And again, led by TJ Watt, who is just an absolute monster. Here's a bit of a weird one. Devin Bush has four fumble recoveries at this point in the season, which is a lot. And that just shows you his sideline to sideline speed and that crazy athleticism from the linebacker position. But I do want to talk about James Conner for a second. Um, He's a player that I really love, who has been... A lot of people have kind of said this year, like, oh, last year was a bit of a fluke, and now he's coming back down. The Pittsburgh offensive line has not been as good as they should be. Um, And like Adam and I have said several times, you'll hear us talking a lot about the lines because there's something that's ignored a lot. Um, But again, this is a team that their offensive line has been historically great over the last five years. That's why Le'Veon Bell was so dominant. He could be the most patient runner in football every time because that line could hold their blocks forever. They're not doing that now. They did it against Miami, and watching James Conner run against Miami was so much fun because he had that patience, and when he hit holes, he hit them hard, and he would pick up chunk yardage. If he can play like that for the rest of the season, they might be able to actually snake this division out somehow. It would involve Baltimore losing some games, but this this team could be led by by a really solid running back duo in James Conner at the kind of the main head and Jalen Samuels getting some carries, and... Juju catching enough passes from Mason Rudolph to win games. It might be possible. So I've asked the the question for the first two teams that we've chatted about here. There's rumors of Mike Tomlin um, not necessarily being the coach of the future for the Steelers. Um, I think that that might be one thing that actually stunts their growth if they don't make the playoffs this year. Um, But again, we said that their defense going forward could be great and could be what actually enables this team to be uh, a contender in the AFC next year. If they don't make the playoffs this year, do they fire Mike Tomlin and move on to the next era of uh, coach in, uh, sorry, in Pittsburgh? This might be like another Mike McCarthy from, from Green Bay firing, where it's not necessarily because everything is the head coach's fault or because you're lacking success, but just because it's time. Mike Tomlin's been there for a long time, and the roster at this point is transitioning so much. Ben Roethlisberger probably doesn't have a ton of time left. A lot of these weapons that were big for Mike Tomlin, right? You had your Antonio Brown, you had your Le'Veon Bell. um, They're gone now. And it feels like it might be time, not necessarily because it's all his fault, but just because he's been there for a while and he hasn't had the sustained success of a Bill Belichick who's been in his team for 20 years. They've had their up and down seasons. Um, 
sorry, I forgot to say, I think the Browns are going seven and nine and I have the Steelers only one game better at eight and eight. It's a strength of schedule thing. They still play some tough teams down the stretch. Um, finishing 500 would be kind of embarrassing for a very proud franchise, but that's what happens when your starting quarterback goes down. So sorry, do you think Mike Tomlin gets fired after this year? Do I think he does? I'm going to just, I'm going to say yes. Do I think he should? No. I generally am not in the, in the boat of just blaming coaches for everything. Um, and Mike Tomlin has won them two Super Bowls. You can't dis, oh no, that's not true. One, one. Yeah. One, one got them to two. Right. Um, so you can't just discount that. He's a solid head coach. If he does get fired, some very happy team is going to hire him as their head coach. It'll be on the ownership if they want the identity of Pittsburgh to continue being what it has been, or if they want to move forward, maybe they want to give up on Mason Rudolph already. And if he is Mike Tomlin's guy, that might be a reason, but we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Okay. Interesting. I'm glad to hear what your perspective is on that. Um, Sorry, what are you thinking? Because I had not even really heard that floated around. Well, no, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago that he was been, being mentioned as the, the next candidate for the Washington Redskins. So that's why I was just, I was kind of curious. Maybe it's um, going to be a mutual parting of what you're saying, right? If it's the end of an era for him in Pittsburgh, and if it just makes sense that this is a natural segue for him, it might make sense for him to move, not necessarily to Washington, because that's not exactly the most desirable job open right now. But um, if another legitimate head coaching job opens up that gives them an opportunity to be successful. I wouldn't be shocked to see him mutually part part ways with the team would not be surprising. Um, so getting to the team that we think is going to be the winner of this division is currently sitting as the, the leader in this division, um, the Baltimore Ravens. So currently five and two, um, yeah, the, led by Lamar Jackson. I think that's the number one way to, to s- introduce this team is to say that Lamar Jackson has gotten this team as far as, as they've gotten. Um, we've said it about Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. And I think it's the exact same thing with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens is that he really has carried this team to their success. Um, yeah, Daniel, what do you think that they're capable of doing this year? So this is going to be a little bit of a weird team for me to talk about, um, because I actually don't believe that the Ravens are as good as their uh, record shows. But I also have them pegged as finishing 12 and 4. So I'm a little bit of a mess in terms of how I feel about the team. Um, I'm in love with Lamar Jackson. He makes me want to go buy an Xbox again so I can play Madden and use him because he just seems to be so much fun. The, the next Vic since Vic, right? Oh, for real. So athletic. Actually can throw decently well this year. Um, the defense is middle of the pack. And I do wonder that, or I do wonder if good head coaches will be able to kind of diagnose what this offense is about and start shutting it down. And I think against the Patriots will be a real test. I'll just say that now. Honestly, if the Patriots handle them, um, then I'm, I'm going to say that they're not as good as their record shows. If they beat the Patriots, then they will probably finish better than 12-4. and four. At this point, I'd say they're the third best team in a division that, or in a conference that is awful. The, the Patriots are the best team in the AFC. The Chiefs are number two when Mahomes is back. The Ravens are three. The Texans are probably four. And the rest of the conference... What about just, the Colts? I, I would put the Colts before the Texans at this really? point. Really? Okay, I think Deshaun Watson alone puts the Texans there. But what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that it's a bad conference and that's helping Baltimore with the record they have. Um, but we'll have to see. I, I really do love Lamar Jackson. I could just rant about him forever because I love watching. I've said this unconventional offense and crazy athletic quarterbacks. I go and watch Michael Vick highlights for fun from time to time. Um, but the thing is he's throwing it well this year, 63 completion percentage, 1,650 yards, 
11 TDs, only five picks, which for him is a huge improvement. Um, 7.7 yards per attempt, which is not nearly as low as some people thought it would be because of the style of this offense. But then his rushing stats are inhuman. He is leading the team in rushing at almost seven yards a carry, 576 rushing yards already. He's on pace to shatter the league record for QB rushing. Like, how much fun is he? Is it sustainable? So this is a question I ask on a weekly basis for multiple different reasons. But we've seen so many athletic quarterbacks come out of college, have this hype around them, and their athletic ability and their their running ability isn't exactly sustained. So I know that you said this last week. Lamar Jackson came out and said that running is not his favorite thing to do. He doesn't like running as much as he does. But I'm wondering, with, with the way the league is going right now, um, and, you know, like the way that athletic quarterbacks are – um, you know, shortening their careers and how things are just happening, right? Like I, I reference Robert, Robert Griffin, Griffin III. Yeah. yeah, that's the first one that comes to mind, right? Who is the backup on this team, funnily enough. Yeah. Will it ever happen where Lamar Jackson is, you know, is running down the field, takes a big hit and can't perform at the same level that he is right now? That's what I fear for this team. But anyways. That, no, we, I, we, and I'm sure that's possible. And I, like, it is a real concern. Robert Griffin is the perfect example. He looked like the next star quarterback and an injury ended that. But Vic did it. Vic had sustained success. If Vic hadn't gone to jail, he honestly could have ended up being a Hall of Famer with the talent that he had. Not necessarily because of his numbers. His passing numbers weren't great, but because he changed the game when he was in the league. Mm-hmm. If you've never watched Michael Vic highlights, do yourself a favor. Go and just watch some of the runs he did. It's crazy. He is. He was more athletic than Lamar Jackson is now. He threw the ball better. He had crazy arm strength. But Vic had that sustained success until he ended up in jail because of the dogfighting ring. <laughs> I still I still just I want to see that for multiple seasons I want to see Baltimore sort of have the same success that they had um you know in the past and but I mean ultimately it's true of anyone if, if Tom Brady right 2007 Tom Bra- or 2008 Tom Brady tears his ACL that Patriots team sure they still had a good record but no one thought they were going to win the Super Bowl if Tom Brady got injured today the Patriots would be done they would not be winning a Super Bowl right now but right I- when you lose your starting quarterback especially a guy Lamar Jackson looks like a star straight up when you lose a star as your starting quarterback your, your team's chances are done and fluke accidents are just a thing in this league right you might take a weird step and tear your ACL no, fair enough. I guess what I'm just trying to get at is um, he's a great quarterback at this point, but I just I don't want him to rely on his legs as much as he is right now. I want to see him like Patrick Mahomes is great with his legs, but he doesn't rely on his legs to be successful. I want to see that same sort of thing from Lamar Jackson to see um, if he can be sustainable as a, a quarterback in that type of role for his team. So that's what I'm getting at. Like, at understand. this point, he he runs the ball or he throws the ball two and a half times as much as he runs it, which like that's actually that's a lot. It, it, you're you're right. It's a lot of running. So he should be a little more selective. Russell Wilson has done that well. He's been selective with his running and he's used that ability well. Um, But we've talked a lot about Lamar Jackson. Sorry, I do. I love him. Um, (laughs) I think he's great for the NFL. Watch some of his film. It's a lot of fun. Other players on this team, though, Mark Ingram, career, not backup, but career part of running back tandems, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, Not amazing numbers, kind of boomer bust every week here in Baltimore, but this offense has definitely helped him make his own name as a true starting running back in the league at age 30, which is kind of fun. Marquise Brown has missed a lot of games now with injuries, but uh, he's fast. He, when he was playing, was averaging 15 and a half yards per reception and was scoring really long touchdowns. So he's really fun and looks like he was a good first round pick. Um, We just talked about that Snead extension. The solid number two or number three is kind of in that range. 
Mark Andrews looking like a good tight end. They almost feel like discount Chiefs to a certain extent. Marquise Brown is like a worse Tyreek Hill. Mark Andrews is like a worse Travis Kelsey, right? It kind of feels like that a little bit, but. Lamar Jackson, a worse version of Patrick Mahomes. They, while well, they play different styles. But yeah. No, I'm no, just no. saying, because like Marquise Brown and Tyreek Hill, the same style of player. Yeah, no, Mark no, no. Andrews, no. Travis just, Kelsey, same style of just player. Just wanted to poke fun there. Yeah. But let's talk about that defense a little bit. So Baltimore has historically been led by a very, very strong defense. Not this year. Yeah, not this year, which is that potentially a weakness. If Lamar Jackson is sustaining this offense and, and is leading a sustainable offense for the remainder of this year, can that defense hold up? Yeah, they are perfectly average. Like I said, 16th in yards against and points against. Um, Earl Thomas will just continue to get better. For those of you who aren't aware, because honestly, I forget about it sometimes. The Ravens do have Earl Thomas now, who is he still now? Maybe, but like was the best safety in the league for quite a while. Um, they have a couple of good pass rushers. They have uh, Matt Judon, who has four sacks already, which is a bit of a weird guy getting it. But hey, you take it, right? Um there was Tyus Bowser their first round draft pick this year or was it second what was he's a guy who's not producing who really should be who's not he has two sacks not a lot um their their cornerback group is not great they got Marcus Peters which is a yeah, bit of a that, help that Jimmy Smith helps. is coming back this week I believe uh, he was doubtful for the game, so we'll see. Was he? Okay, I heard. I, so. I saw on Twitter that he was hopeful to be back okay. this week. So once those guys are like in and going, that'll be good. Um, Brandon Carr is just an old man at this point. Was a very good corner at some point. Marlon Humphrey is a capable corner. Um, so with those starters back in, they'll be good to go there. Pernell McPhee, three sacks. He's 31 now, which is a little crazy to me. I keep thinking of him as so young, but um, their defense is one of those that actually has a lot of names that you would know if you're very much into the league. Um, but again, at middle of the pack, it's not like they're all working very well to, to perform at a very high level. Fun fact, they were in the Jamal Adams sweepstakes as well, uh, at the trade deadline. So Earl Thomas and Jamal Adams would have been the best safety duo in NFL history. That would have been crazy. <laughs> well, it's a, if you're a fan of any AFC team, that's not Baltimore. You're quite thankful that they weren't able to pull that trade off, but I agree. I think their defense can play a lot better than they currently are performing, uh, just based on the names on paper that you see. So I think we've talked about this with so many teams. I think if their defense is able to, um, you know, and able to make up for where their offense lacks some weeks, I think that, uh, yeah, they could put together a good team in the AFC and maybe contend with some of these other teams that we've talked about on a regular basis, like the Patriots, Chiefs, um, Colts, and Texans. So um, they're kind of an underrated team in the AFC, and, and this is a week where they really get to prove who they are right if, if they lose to the Patriots um you know a if lot they of people, lose bad losing to the Patriots wouldn't be a shock if they no, get handled by the Patriots yeah like depending on how the loss would occur against the Patriots it'll show us what kind of team they are if they beat the Patriots I think a lot of fear will be struck into other teams across the league not just the AFC but the league um with the defense the Patriots have so anyways I'm, I'm excited to see that matchup and to to get a good assessment of who the Ravens are um and like you said whether there's their uh their record is just their scheduling or if that's actually because because of their talent there so anyways that's our coverage of the AFC North um, I think we're doing the NFC East next week which should be a really fun one so tune in next week to, to hear what we have to say about the NFC East um, some tweets of the week though that we really wanted to feature so um, we saw that Gerald McCoy's teammates or former teammates from Tampa Bay. So he currently plays for the Carolina Panthers, but his former teammates from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went to his son's senior night football game. 
um, and took a video to show support and to show him some love and, and to say that they wanted to be there for him when he couldn't be there for his son. So um, being football players and knowing the family environment that you have, even when you're no longer with that team, um, that's really awesome to see. And, uh, and we love that love being shared. Um, for those of you that haven't seen the, the Twitter video of um, Russell Wilson on the left side of an elevator door, and I believe it's Tyler Lockett on the right side of an elevator door and the football going across with the elevator door closing. Um, it's a great video. Check it out. It's, it's quite humorous. So I was, I was scrolling through Twitter the other day and I, I saw all these posts and then I just saw one that kind of stuck out to me and it was Malcolm Butler over top of Tyler Lockett in the elevator and the ball being intercepted by Malcolm Butler. So if you're a Seahawks fan, I'm sorry, but yeah, thought the Seahawks that was Seahawks fans are gently weeping in a corner. Now. Yeah. But you're, thought you're that bringing was bringing back all the bad memories. Exactly. But thought that was absolutely hilarious. Um, good on people on Twitter for, for being able to put that together. Uh, great talent to have. And then the last one was an Odell Beckham meme where he's Wolverine and he's looking in that old photo frame. And it was a picture of uh, Eli Manning and what were apparently the good old days from uh, for Odell where he wasn't in Cleveland, but rather with the New York Giants again. So it was kind of funny to look back on that and realize that we thought this would be the resurrection of his career, um, even from where he was with New York and to see him yeah, not performing with the Browns. It's uh, yeah, it's quite a bit of a disappointment. So those are our tweets of the week. Um, now our favorite segment, uh, the clues of the week. So Daniel and I are, you know, we're, we're at 500. We're both at six and six this year. Um, really had a struggle last week, but I think this is the week where we might start doing a lot better. So our clues of the week this week, uh, Daniel, if you want to read them out as per tradition. So Adam, does Gardner Minshew throw for more yards than Deshaun Watson in their head to head matchup? I'd say no. So Deshaun Watson averages 278.9 yards per game. Minshew averages 247 yards per game. Houston throws the ball a lot more. Jacksonville relies a lot more on Leonard Fournette. I think it's an easy picking that Deshaun Watson uh, throws for more in this game. What are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely with you on that one. So our second one then, does the Patriots D hold Lamar Jackson to less than 250 yards combined rushing and passing? So I think this, you have to factor in what the nature of the game is going to be. So if the Patriots are dominating the game, I think that at the end of the game, Lamar Jackson is going to get a lot of chunk yards in the passing game. Um, I'm going to lean towards it being a little bit closer and that I don't think he gets this 250 number. I think it's reasonable to say that he doesn't hit this 250 number. Um, I think the Patriots defense holds them, but I think their defense holds up the Patriots offense a bit. I think it's a close game, but Lamar Jackson doesn't combine for 250 yards. What about yourself? I just, I mean, it has to do with this love for Lamar Jackson and just that crazy athleticism. I think the Patriots will struggle to deal with him in the run game. I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up having like 80 or 90 yards rushing. And I also wouldn't be shocked if he had 200 passing yards. So I'm going to go that, I'm going to say he does go over the 250. Okay. So that's a point where we'll be different this week. And finally, do Daniel Jones and the Giants beat the Cowboys on Sunday night football? This is not a fun one. (laughs) This is one that, oh gosh. See, the Cowboys play pretty well on Sunday Night Football. Um, I'm going to say no. Daniel Jones and the Cowboys do not beat, or sorry, Daniel Jones and the Giants do not beat the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are starting to hit their stride. I think Daniel Jones has sort of dropped off since that early season hype we saw. Um, This one probably should be easier than I made it seem, but um, yeah, I think the Cowboys are are going to beat them. Sunday Night Football 
Giants-Cowboys seems to be a yearly occurrence, and it's a lot of fun every time it happens. I think if the Giants are going to make a statement about them being a football team that's going to compete in the future, they have to do it on Sunday night. Um, And so a little bit for the sake of being contrarian, but also because I think it's actually quite possible, I'm going to go with yes. Um, Neither team is specifically good. That division, honestly, is, is not really great at all and it's still up for grabs so i'm going to say yes the ravens or the giants do beat the cowboys on sunday night football okay well we disagree on two different things this week so hopefully our records uh yeah hopefully my record improves and hopefully daniel's record doesn't and uh yeah next week i'll be hopefully talking to you guys with a winning record at this point in the segment so well thank you all so much for joining us again this week um one one big thing we want to push for if you have friends who are into football please share our podcast. We're really looking at growing. We want to continue to increase our production quality here, just kind of keep getting better at um, the process of um, building the the set to sound better and some audio stuff. So if you could share it, and also if you listen on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a rating review, we'd really appreciate that. Um, But thank you so much for joining us. We hope that, that this is always an opportunity for you to learn more about the league and to really just get more into the NFL. Um, We're excited to do this with you guys, and we're so thankful for the time that you've taken to listen to us. We will see you all again next week.